0: And now for something completely different. Ah! Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money. Markets. Life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts.
1: Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning, welcome to the show. It's of course Hump Day. It's the Wednesday edition of The Real Investment Show. Glad you're here to join me this morning as we get ready to wrap up the year. I mean, this is already the 14th of December. It's just like going right past us. Of course, today, uh, yesterday, of course, uh, the big day, inflation, right? Inflation came in weaker than expected, right? And that was good news. Market started off very strongly yesterday morning, up almost 3% at the open and then sold off all day long. Uh, market did finish positive yesterday, but that's a wicked bad red candle yesterday. Um, so again, not only did we go back below the 200-day moving average, we also continued to hold that downtrend line ever since January. So, you know, that was, you know, it, it was a good day from the standpoint that the markets did finish positive. Uh, wasn't a great day in the fact that we sold off really most of the day, So so again, Um, the the, the realization is that, look, yes, inflation's coming down. Let's rewind the tape here, folks. Let's go back to April and May of this year when we were talking here, saying, look, inflation is going to peak and it is going to go lower this year. When everybody was saying inflation's just going to go to the moon, it's like, no, year-over-year comparisons are going to make inflation come down, and that's exactly what's happened. We're at 7.1% inflation. That ain't cheap, right? In terms of what the Fed is looking at, 7.1% is still a very high level of inflation. But yes, inflation has peaked as that monetary pig of all that money we put into the economy back in 2020 is exiting now the economic python. And so we're, we're going through that process. Inflation will come down it will go down lower next year. Yes, the Fed is going to slow the pace of rate hikes. They've hiked an, Im- an inordinate amount since the beginning of this year. We had a 25 basis point hike in May, followed by 50 basis points, followed by 475 point rate hikes. Yes, the Fed is going to slow their pace of rate hikes. That does not mean they are going to pivot. What is a pivot? A pivot and a pause are two very different things. A pause in rate hikes means that they're just gonna stop hiking rates, and that is going to eventually happen, right? So most likely the FOMC meeting today, we get past this, thank goodness, we don't have one until February, So uh, the FOMC meeting today, Jerome Powell will likely restate what he's been saying is that inflation is the primary concern. We are going to get inflation down. We are going to slow the pace of rate hikes now and kind of see how these rate hikes work because of the lag effect of rate hikes. Expect 50 basis points today. Uh, I would expect some fairly hawkish language coming out of Jerome Powell this afternoon following the mistake that the markets made back in uh, two weeks ago at the um, speech he made at the Brooksings Institute where he said, hey, we're gonna pause the pace of rate hikes, and the market took off 3.1% for the day, easing financial conditions. Of course, then Nick Timrose had to come out and then of course correct the markets the next uh, that following Monday say no that's not what the Fed said they're going to slow the pace of rate hikes but inflation still the key markets sold off gave up all of that gain same thing here 7.1% inflation is not where the Fed wants to be they are going to hike rates until they get that rate down to 2% and that is a long way from here that won't happen until mid to late next year by the time we get there depending on how fast inflation really starts to come down here but The important thing here is that we're going to have 50 basis point hikes today, more rate hikes next year. And as we said before, 50 basis point rate hikes historically is a very aggressive rate hike. It's not 75, right? But 50 basis point is still very aggressive in terms of hiking rates. That is an impact to the consumer in terms of higher borrowing costs. And all these rate hikes still have to come through into the system next year. That's going to be the risk as we get there. So, uh, you know, maybe the market's figuring this out. Maybe the market figured it out yesterday with that 3% jump saying maybe, you know, let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. The Fed is going to be hiking rates. But again, look, good news. Despite the fact that the market did, you know, finish up yesterday, still in this consolidation range, still we tested the 20-day moving average yesterday, bounced off that. Uh, during the day, we sold off to it, bounced off of it, closed a little bit above it yesterday. Still below the 200-day moving average. All that resistance still kind of intact for right now. Market, despite all the movement around, markets haven't gone anywhere now since going all the way back to about November the 8th. So since November the 8th, markets have gone nowhere. We've just kind of been stuck here ever since we had that 5.5% jump on that last reading of inflation that was weaker than expected. Um We've gone nowhere, just trading sideways at this point. Now, here's all the good news. After today, we get the FOMC meeting out of the way. I don't know what's going to happen. We'll see what happens with markets. Friday, we have $3.2 trillion worth of options expiration. That's it. Once we get through Friday, we've got two weeks of bliss going into the Christmas holiday season. Uh, Santa Claus rally, of course, right around the corner. That should get us through the end of the year. Hopefully lift markets back up here. New target now after yesterday's open is 4,100. So that is potentially the top end of that range at the moment. But we could get a rally into the end of the year. Um, then, the first couple of weeks of January, January has more money flows combined than every other month of the year, uh, all combined. And, and the reason for that is all the money coming in for the new year, 401k contributions, all that uh, matching, all, everything that happens with pension plans. So, uh, first 10 days of January tend to be seasonally very strong. So. Again, we've got a kind of a four-week stretch here where maybe we get a little bit of a reprieve from some of the selling, get a little bit more upside in the markets here near term. Uh, we'll, We'll see how this kind of shapes out. Today, though, of course, get through the FOMC meeting. That'll kind of give us a basis for, you know, where we can kind of start looking, if we want to try to add some trading exposure maybe we can Uh, the MACD sell signal still very elevated here but you know it's not uncommon for it to even trigger a buy signal again even from an elevated level Uh, that'll give you a short-term kind of a trading run potentially but again it'll be limited because a lot of these indicators are still very overbought uh, short-term and particularly after yesterday it pulled a lot of these indicators up you know our, our previous oversold indicator now getting already pushing back up towards overbought levels so upside will be somewhat limited but there will likely be some upside depending on what happens today. Now, again, I I really don't have any clue. At 2 o'clock today when the FOMC makes their announcement, uh, this market could be up 3%. It could be down 3%. I mean, it's just depending on how hawkish that language actually is coming out of Jerome Powell. Let's see how we finish out today. I would remain a little bit cautious on allocations. Whatever happens today happens today. Uh, and then we can kind of reposition and, and rethink our strategy in um, and, and terms of allocation as we get through today and start heading into that last couple of weeks of the trading year where you have light volume, uh, basically everybody leaves and you have inmates running the asylum. So we'll, we'll get through that. Okay, outside of that, of course, uh, inflation, FOMC, get that behind us. Uh, other things that we're going to be paying attention to earnings uh, right now. So, you know, stock buybacks have been helping support markets so far. That's been a very strong push, Um, but earnings are going to start being important once we get into January, February, March, right? So this is December. We're wrapping up now the fourth quarter, we're going to get into earnings season right around the corner. I know we just finished earnings season and here it is again. Uh, So millennial soccer right around the corner. Estimates have come down, Uh, everybody gets a trophy. So get into January, we'll start getting really kind of the reports on retail sales, what's happening in, in terms of really kind of get that good, you know, kind of first view of the consumer and consumption. Of course, that's 70% of the economy. But we get into January, we'll start getting those reports about how good Christmas sales were or maybe weren't. We'll we'll get there. Um, A lot of stuff to get into today, of course. Danny Ratliff joining me, certified financial planner. We'll be right back after the break. Michael Leibowitz's new article, very good article today on the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Go get that now. be right back. Don't go away.
0: Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. In
2: 1999, a para-fiduciary group of financial advisors were busted by corporate giants for trying to operate in their clients' best interest. These men promptly escaped from a high-cost margin environment to the Houston Energy Corridor. Today, still excoriated by their former employers, they survive as protectors of others' fortunes. If you have a problem about preserving capital, if no one else can help, and you can find them right here, maybe you should hire the RIA team. The Real Investment Show.
1: Randolph joining me this morning as well, uh, fresh off of the FTX scandal. I, <laughs> Hey, Danny, what's up?
3: What's a heck of a lead in? <laughs> so, so where uh, are you going with this one, Lance?
1: So uh, speaking of that, so yesterday, of course, uh, we were discussing the FTX scandal. Uh, yesterday morning, of course, at that point, charges were, we were pending, waiting the charges to be released against Sam bankman Freed. And we kind of went through those yesterday and, you know, what that all means of course yesterday afternoon a uh, big announcement i was supposed to do fox business news at uh, two o'clock sharp and got delayed till 2 45 because that was exactly when they were actually announcing all of the charges uh, both civil and criminal um that is this involves the sec the fbi the cftc i mean basically everybody is involved in this investigation sam bankman fried of course arrested yesterday and denied bail he's a flight risk so He is now uh, in jail until they can get him extradited to the U.S. So, you know this is, but you know this is this is having a broader impact. But here's the thing that that you know, I I, you know, we want to kind of recap here a little bit, and we touched on this yesterday. History is very important. And again, when we talked about the fact that, you know, back in 1929, there was kind of a Wild West in investments and there was no SEC back then. There was no no regulatory environment over over the markets. And of course, the peak of that market, 1929, of course, you had the Ponzi scheme uh, with Charles Ponzi. we put in the SEC. We have formed regulations. Market worked great until, you know, 1995-ish, 96. We started relaxing all of the regulations again because Wall Street was, you know, at that point, Wall Street and banking were two separate things. And Wall Street had you, – you, you could either be a brokerage firm and you could trade in equities or you could be a bank, but you couldn't do both. In the late 90s, we started fudging the rules and allowing – Banks and brokerage firms to come back together again, and you know that accelerated post 2000 because banks were complaining. He's like, "Oh, it's not fair! It's not fair! Why, why? You know that the brokerage firms can make all this money doing IPOs and everything else, and we're just stuck here. You know, giving out free checking accounts. <laughs> you know, where so so everybody's like, okay, fine, y'all can go play together again. Lo and behold, 2007, we have a bust, and we have Bernie Madoff with the largest ponzi scheme since 1929 right and so and i'm not but here's the point i'm not saying that there's certainly some elements to Sam Bankman-Fried in terms of being a ponzi scheme they were using client money to solve other problems that's kind of the essential basis of a ponzi scheme but you know again the point here is is that we in you know 2020 here we go again, you know, flooding the system with all kinds of liquidity, creating a lot of speculative ap- appetite. Too much money chasing too few assets, and we warned then. I wrote articles talking about the fallacy of of pet rocks. People were buying digital pet rocks, <laughs> you know, in the metaverse, like virtual
3: real estate. I mean, yeah, yeah,
1: virtual real estate. All this type of stuff. Too much money chasing too few assets, and this li- this provides the basis for frauds to be developed, right? And as always is the case. You know, you have to be responsible for yourself. The SEC, God love them, right? They go after small guys. That They go with that long, low-hanging fruit, right? They, they go, they audit, you know, small little brokerage firms and, you know, RIAs, et cetera, and, you know, they'll get a fine every now and then. It's like, oh, yeah, we got this guy for $2 million. They miss the big stuff, right, because they don't. Get involved because, again, you know, if you're going to go audit or try to go after a Goldman Sachs or a Bank of America, and this is why whenever there's a a crisis like we had back in 2008, right, you know, clear violations of security laws all across the board by Bank of America and Goldman Sachs and others, and they got off by paying penalties. Right. No, no, no declaration of anything of any wrongdoing. They just paid some penalties and fines were basically just a tax. That was the cost of doing business for the billions they made in issuing fraudulent mortgages. Right. So they paid a cost of doing business. And then President Obama at the time made it even easier because they said, oh, we'll cut your fine in half if you'll donate some of your fines to these political causes that we like. And so that provided funding for La Rosa and some other from some some other organizations and got fines cut. So it made it even more favorable for the banks to be a criminal enterprise. Saw this with Wells Fargo, you know, opening up accounts for people that didn't want accounts open. Um, you know, but this goes on, right? We they can't ever get the big guys because the big guys are lawyered up. They have, a, you know, and if you want, and if you're at the SEC and you want to go work for a big firm, you don't go after the fish you're going to go work for eventually. <laughs> And, you know, we even saw this with FTX. They had, you know, former counsel, you know, working with them. So the problem is we never catch these things in advance. But after the fact, and here's the point of the whole conversation. So here, this, you know, easy money creates the environment to have a fraud. Now, after the fraud is complete, and it's apparent to everybody it's a fraud. Now we go arrest the guy. We put him in jail. And now, and this, is the, this was the important, so this is a long lead up to the important thing that was said yesterday by the SEC. The SEC said, if you're not in compliance, you need to come talk to us so that we can get you into compliance. We can get you into the regulatory landscape. We can start regulating you. The whole point of Bitcoin was supposed to be it ain't regulated right it's supposed to be totally anonymous it's supposed to have be outside the law it's supposed to be this this environment in which nobody's beholden to anybody right and and we warned a year and a half ago that legislation was coming and that regulation was coming for these exchanges and and these coins and it, and because they are securities they will eventually wind up being securities and they will wind up being fully transparent because Government wants control over these assets for safety reasons and, again, to protect consumers because consumers aren't able to assess the risk they're taking. And, you know, look, people have lost, individuals have lost billions of dollars in not just FTX but a whole variety of these, you know, issues that have gone on because of too much speculative risk taking because of too much money in the system. And, again, we just, when markets are going up, it's like, oh, you know, I just throw money at it? can't lose it just goes up and it's always going to go up you know this but this is where Danny and I talk a lot about risk management understanding kind of what's going on and you know our job is 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 to make money yes but our job is also to keep you from trying you know from losing so much money and sometimes that means you can't chase these these wild west things because they always tend to end up badly but you know look this is all going to have a very big turn of events over the next You know, a couple of years, we'll see a lot of this. We'll see a lot of changes to the crypto industry and and really where it winds up. And, um, you know, a lot of the initial fervor will be taken out because once it becomes a regulated environment, it will be much more difficult to bring coins to market but it'll also limit the upside potential for a lot of these transactions as well. So anyway, that's my rant this morning, Danny.
3: Yeah, but I, I think you make some good points there, Lance. but if you look back at any of these things like you mentioned Bernie Madoff, you look you've mentioned uh, you didn't mention Alan Stanford, but you you start thinking about some of the that's bigger Ponzi schemes or bigger issues where there's been true fraud within there's always going to be bad actors, right? right but these guys were operating not under the scope of regular business practices, right I mean you had Bernie Madoff, who was creating his own statements, had his own uh, clearing yep. firm on another level. That they were they were basically fraudulent the whole time, forging these statements, right? Yeah, yeah he you was have, the broker, the accountant, and the RA. Correct. Yeah, and then you have then you have Alan Stanford, who is the Bank of Antigua, right? Um, and so sometimes when things are too good to be true, they likely are, and maybe that should throw up some red flags. But many times, and, and just like this with FTX, they're operating outside of the scope of typical regulatory environments. Mm -hmm. And so they're trying to catch up, which is another reason like we don't hold assets personally, right? We hold assets at a custodian. You want to keep that arm's length. And so I think it's always important to understand where are funds, how are they being managed? um, What type of access do these people actually have to your funds? Because that's what this is essentially. And, you know, I think it's interesting that the biggest um, news coming out of this Sam Bankman Friedman deal is that, uh, or Freed, is that, oh, it's political uh, campaign violations. That's what everybody keeps talking about. Yeah. No. But who cares? I mean, look, that's, that's, that's a big deal, I guess, right? But he took people's money. That's the bigger deal well, about it. Why was, is the headline
1: that? Well, the thing was is he took people's money to make those political Correct. donations, right? So he was making political donations, by the way, if you didn't know, to both Democrats and Republicans. But he was using customer money to do that.
3: And, and then and, he was and, using other people's names and he said all the Republican <laughs> money was dark money, which essentially means that he was using somebody. He was having somebody else go donate and then he'd reimburse them, is what right. I read, at least. Right. Yeah, so, but that's going to be interesting because, again, now the question is,
1: is all these political candidates that got money from FTX? Yeah, what do you do? Are they going to return it to the customers it belongs is to? Is it even still there? Yeah, no, it's gone yeah so but the, but the point is and, and again you know the the here's some in I know this is a bit of a rehash we talked about this a bit yesterday but it's kind of the news that's going on but here's the things that you need to, to be aware of as, as an individual because you're going to get presented with these things you know from time to time it's like and, and you're going to get these things that are too good to be true um, let me give you a good example um, people come out with you know Private read offerings all the time, right? And and they they come out and say, hey, invest in this private read. It's going to give you a seventeen percent annualized rate of return. I'll take that, right? Seventeen percent, right? That's a projection, right? There, these are, and and I'm not saying that that's wrong, right? I'm just saying you have to to understand what your risk is. It's all a projection. They don't know and too many things can happen right you can have an economic downturn you can have a whole variety of things happen you know they can build the building and nobody comes right you know it's there are things that can happen that can can greatly skew those very high rates of return so just always you have to understand is like somebody offers you a really high rate of return you have to ask what's the risk what why am i so lucky to get this you know other things to pay attention to never give somebody money that you're right, and like, you don't write a check to Danny Ratliff, CFP, for an investment portfolio. No, that should be to a, yeah. a major well established custodian, Charles Schwab, Fidelity, Interactive Brokers, you know, TD Ameritrade. You know, that's where your money's being held, where you have security, you have oversight, you have regulatory, you know, uh,
3: issues. And these are well established firms. Yes. Yeah. They're, they're not 5 by night or up and coming that, oh, well, I hope you're yeah. there. So, but those are the things, you know, just, you know, the important thing is,
1: is, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. And even if it isn't, you may be not really missing out on all that much stuff, right? So it's better to be safe than sorry, as I say. All right, be right back after the break. Stuff to get into with Danny. Don't go away.
0: Investment advice blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com. In
2: 1999, a para fiduciary group of financial advisors were busted by corporate giants for trying to operate in their clients' best interest. These men promptly escaped from a high cost margin environment to the Houston Energy Corridor. Today, still excoriated by their former employers, they survive as protectors of others' fortunes. If you have a problem about preserving capital, if no one else can help, and you can find them right here, maybe you should hire the RIA team. You're listening to The Real Investment Show.
1: (laughs) There's a headline you don't see every day. (laughs) Alaska State Trooper killed in muskox attack. So Ew. yeah. They do you know you don't see that very often. Musk oxes as as being, you know. Bears, I
3: get, right? But yeah, muskox. Well, muskox are a little different. You don't know how familiar you are with them. They're yeah. they kind of traveling herds, or typically yeah. um, you know, they're not just gonna be in, you know, rolling through the neighborhood typically. So yeah. you you got to probably get pretty close. Yeah. Yeah. So it, my guess is maybe I don't know the whole. I don't.
1: The middle, or... I don't I, like I said, I don't know the whole story about what happened, but apparently, you know, this is you know, it's a tragic accident. Uh, yes, you yeah. know, that's occurred, but you know, it's just something you don't see every day. Yeah, you know, kind of in your headlines.
2: Not to be confused with Elon Musk. Yeah, that's
1: correct. Who you know, he has even said that he's <laughs> at risk with. You Think. <laughs> <laughs> with what he's doing. He's also, Elon Musk is no longer the richest man in the world either. Really? Yeah. After yesterday's drop in Tesla stock, <gasps> he has fallen out of the number one spot. So.
2: Do you know who is?
1: Uh, I think it's back to Bezos. Oh, okay. Again, if I'm not mistaken. I don't, I don't know. If, I don't, Poor guy. I didn't, yeah. I didn't check. But yeah, I know if you're number two. I'm only number two richest man. I don't know. It might be Gates. He's up there too, but. Who? Bill Gates. Oh, Gates. Yeah. I don't know. But anyway, just I saw yesterday he dropped out of the top one spot. Yeah. So I, I'm sure he's I'm sure he's ruining the day that that happened. Tough duty. Yeah. You know, if you I, I figure if you got a billion, you're pretty good. Um, <laughs> yeah, you're doing just OK. One, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just one. If you just have a billion, I think you're fine. Even after taxes, you're doing OK. Um, it always cracks me up. People say, you are know, like the the lottery's like a billion bucks. Say, yeah. But after taxes and, you know, the lump sum payout, it's, it's not, not that, that much th- money. Yeah.
3: Well, the funny thing is when the, when the lottery gets really big, everybody's like, hey, we're going to go buy some lottery tickets. Yeah. I'm like, wait a second. Any of these would be life changing for 99.9% of people out there. I know. Hey, but when it was the a, small ones. But if, when the Powerball was $1.2 billion, my wife and I bought tickets.
1: Did you? Yeah, had to. Just had to. You know, just, you never know. <laughs> I didn't want to work with you anymore. So, you know, the sad <laughs> I thing is, is that if, <laughs> I,
3: I would bet that, uh, that if you won it tonight, you'd still be in here tomorrow. Yeah, probably. Just because I love you, man. If only to pack up
2: his
1: desk. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) He'd
3: be bored out of his mind.
1: I would be, Well, that's true. Yeah. Um, You know, one of the things that uh, had, you know, you've also got to be careful. You know, we're talking about things before the break, you know, with this FTX scandal. Things you got to be careful of, right? You know, don't write a check to somebody for an investment. You know, make sure that where the money's going, it's supposed to be there. That's where it's supposed to be. Um, Make sure that what you're investing in is what it really is. And... You know it's okay you know don't get don't fall in love with projected returns because those very often don't turn out to be the case you're, you'll still make money you just won't make you know 20 percent you might make five six seven eight percent right so you know you're still going to make money most likely and just make sure that you're you know, have realistic expectations but one of the other things you've got to be careful of is when the media starts telling you something most likely and most often something else tends to happen and now you remember that last year, everybody was talking about, oh, the 4% rule, it's dead, right? Because when interest rates were at, you know, on the 10-year treasury, were at half a percent. It was like, oh, you can't take out 4% anymore on your account because, you know, blah, blah, blah. Look, there's a lot of things that have changed. You know, a million dollars ain't what it used to be, right? Back in 1980, if you had a million dollars, you could make 12% on your money. The cost of living was about $20,000, so <laughs> you could live really well on a million bucks, you know, with what you could earn in interest back in 1980. A million dollars today doesn't go that far, right? The cost of living for the average household family of four is north of $70,000 right now on an inflation-adjusted basis. See, this is the thing that everybody forgets to tell you, that million dollars, you got to inflation adjust that. And so you, know, you see a lot of these articles on CNBC. It's like, oh, just, you know, here's how to get you – know, this guy's a millionaire. He saved up a million dollars. That's awesome, right? I'm, that's fantastic. He's better off than about 95 95- – years old and he's retired. <laughs> yeah, you're 95% better off than everybody else. Well, that's all fine and dandy except a million dollars 30 years from now is not you – know, the cost of living is going to be what? $100,000. And so you've got to generate 10% a year – on a on a million dollars to live a hundred thousand dollar office see the problem right this this is the problem we don't then and these are the things that the media doesn't tell you they all sound great oh just you know buy a bunch of index ETFs and dollar cost average you will have a million bucks when you retire it'll be awesome million dollars is is not going to be that much money 30 years from now Yeah, they forget to inflate it yeah exactly imagine that well this is the same thing with the four percent rule right two years ago four percent rule is dead can't do the 4% rule you got to be all in equities you got to have 100% of your money in equities because the 4% rule is dead and guess what the 4% rule is back because why Ten-year treasury's yielding almost 4% now, now what's interesting is is last you know earlier this they year they wrote
3: this last week though it's I know three and a half now so uh, exactly I mean.
1: But earlier this year, Danny and I couldn't sell bonds to anybody. Nobody wanted bonds earlier this year. Now we're, you know, we open up bond sleeves and we've got this massive demand for bonds because everybody wants to own bonds now, right? So be careful about what the media tells you and don't extrapolate out, you know, something to be the case forever because things always change. But again, yes, you're right, Danny. The 4% rule is now back.
3: For retirees. Well, they're, they're, well, they're changing quickly and I think this is one thing to just keep in, in mind when you look at these things because right now, so Wall Street Journal has a new article out. It essentially says the 4% rule for retirement spending makes a comeback. Well, just last year, the same people that did this research, Christine Benz at Morningstar, yeah. they, they said, hey, it needs to be 3.3%. Uh, because of yields are low, uh, valuations were high. And now they're saying, well, because valuations are low, not because of inflation, not because of yields. Actually, Lance, mm-hmm. they're saying because valuations. Now we can go in and and say we feel much more comfortable. at Actually, three point eight percent, so close yeah. to four. So, um, so but, but where, where's,
1: where's she saying valuations are? She's saying valuations well, are low. She
3: said they're they're much lower now. So now we we feel like that the wind should be at our back. But we know the valuations aren't all that low yet. Yeah,
1: they're you know they're they are down from thirty to. They're way down where from where they were. Yeah, but we're Yeah,
3: twenty two times earnings. Yeah. Yeah. So but but I think the big thing is is that, you know, we always talk about take these things with a grain of salt when you hear these. And, you know, I can tell you this. I've never had a client each and every year give themselves a raise. Oh, January 1st, we're getting that 3.8 percent raise. Let's turn it on. (laughs) Never, never have I had that happen. Now, typically it's a conversation. We're going through financial plans. Hey, how's everything going? Uh, You know, check still hitting your account on the right time of the month. Is it still enough money? And usually what happens is, you know, one spouse will chirp up and say, hey, you know what? I just don't feel like money's going as far as it used to. Uh, or I feel like we're living paycheck to paycheck for the last week of every month. Um, you know, we just don't have enough. In fact, I had a guy, I've told the story probably in the past, that he used to eat ramen noodles. He would see for the last week, he, and this guy had plenty of money, he would see how much or how little he could spend in that last week of every month. It was a game to him. And, you know, his wife said, this is nuts. And I said, yeah, I wish you told me about this a while back. We could fix this problem. <laughs> but... The point is, is that these numbers are going to change. They're going to be different for everybody. So what this, this rule of thumb, it's a traditional old school rule they created years and years ago, was that if you could take 4% out of your portfolio, so essentially you, you'd hope you'd be able to get a 4% yield, a return, those funds would be able to last for 30 plus years. And what they essentially do is that for inflation each year, you give yourself a little bit of a raise to keep up with inflation. Now, we stress plans. We, when we do financial planning, we actually assume that you're going to do that, but most people don't do it. But, you know, we've actually seen studies, Lance, that suggest that that number should be closer to 2.6 to 2.8 versus this much higher number. And, you know, and if we're in this environment where everybody expects, you know, you talked about in the first segment, this, you know, maybe the pivot or it's just a stall and then a pivot, these yields aren't going to be here forever, so you better lock in while you can, right? I mean, if that's yeah. the case.
1: Yeah. Well, no, and this and this is you know, and again, you know, when you go back and look at history, when that four percent rule was in place, interest rates on the ten-year Treasury were you know seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven percent, way higher. So you could take out, and the the theory was you could take out four, and then your portfolio would still be growing every year to adjust for inflation because you're not taking out as much as it's earning, right? Correct. And that's and that's the whole thing, but again that hasn't you know been the case for quite some time but people forget that prior to 2008 t- the treasury was yielding 6% 5 and 6% just prior to 2008 um, you know post financial crisis you know we've crushed yields to basically nothing and you know now we're trying to get yields up uh, to track inflation, but they can't even do that. And that's one of the big things, that's one of the big takeaways from all of this, right? You know, we've got 7% inflation and the yields on the 10-year treasury are 3.5%, 3.6%, right? You know, yields should track inflation. The yields on bonds have a long historical correlation to inflation and economic growth because that's what the economy will support. So if yields aren't tracking inflation, that tells you that the economy is not growing strong enough to support those higher yields, right? Because it's all about the, the supply and demand for credit. And, and so it tells you there's problems economically speaking, which we are, we're pretty clear that we have that. But, but again, you know, so just, you know, like Danny said though, you know, these 4% rules and these rule of thumbs, they're, they're kind of, they're, they're great for just, if you wanna sit around the house and go, you know, I've got this much money, if I could make 4% on it, could I live my lifestyle? that that's a great little rule of thumb right you know because hopefully we can generate three four five six percent rates of growth you know in a year depending on what the market's doing but it's kind of a great little thumbtack but don't rely on it don't don't go into retirement going oh i'm going to get four percent every year because that's th- this year's a good example of that right yeah. and nothing's really worked this year stocks are down bonds are down commodities are down i mean you, you name it um you know nothing has really worked well so you have to and again this is why danny talks about stress testing plans You have to account for these years where
3: things don't work out as expected. And what happens if like many people are stopping? They're slowing their spending down because of the environment we're in, but they're still spending the same amount of money. Yeah. Because everything costs more. Yeah. So that's an environment we haven't been in in a long time.
1: All right. Be right back after the break. Talk about four steps to take. If you lose your lose your job, of course, uh, you know layoffs are picking up here. So what happens if if that happens to you? We'll talk about that when we come back from the break with Danny Ratliff. Don't go away.
0: Daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com.
2: In 1999, a para-fiduciary group of financial advisors were busted by corporate giants for trying to operate in their clients' best interest. These men promptly escaped from a high-cost margin environment to the Houston Energy Corridor. Today, still excoriated by their former employers, they survived as protectors of others fortunes if you have a problem about preserving capital if no one else can help and you can find them right here maybe you should hire the ria team the real investment show
1: Back to the show, getting ready to wrap up this Wednesday edition. Show about went by fast today. Um, so, of course, you know, right now we're talking about and, you know, potentially an economic slowdown in 2023, uh, layoffs, you know, ticking up here. And the Fed wants this, by the way. You know, the, the reason the Fed is hiking rates and they've been clear about this is they need the unemployment rate to come up to take wage pressure off because wage pressures are part of the inflation equation. Uh, in the economy, so they need unemployment to come up, so the you know the, the big thing, of course, and I, and I heard a, a a financial guy this morning I was driving in and listening to the radio, and he 's like, "You need to have two months worth of expenses in cash, like in cash in case you lose power at your house. You remember the freeze we had here in Texas? Mm-hmm. none of the ATMs worked you know and this is the only problem with an all digital economy is that you know if somebody dropped an e m p somewhere you 're kind of toast you, you can 't Transact any business at all, period, right? Because everything's digital. Um, so he, he recommends two months of cash. I don't know if you need to really do that. You know, always keep. I always keep some cash laying around. And my kids like, what's that, Dad? And I was like, this is this is called money. It's green and it's and you can buy stuff with it. And they're like, nobody does that anymore, Dad. Hard so to old. pay the babysitter. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> But, you know, but there are some steps that, you know, that you probably need to take. And look, you you may not think you're at risk of losing your job. And, you know, some people are, you know, are clearly not at risk of losing their job, right, if you own your own business. But what happens if something happens to your business and, and it goes out of business, right? That can happen, too.
3: Uh, nobody, you have a health issue, or you have yeah. other or family members have health issues, and now you have to step away from the business. I mean, these are all bigger issues yeah. that well, you, know, I mean, you need j- to think about. Just
1: think about early, you know, here, you know, January, February of 2020, you're a restaurant, totally business, kicking butt, doing great, right? Pfft, I'm not going to lose my job, I'm fine. Yeah. And then they shut down the whole economy and you go out of business, right? And, and I'm just saying, and what I'm saying is, is that, you know, we need to all, these are things that we should all consider because things can happen, right, that we don't plan on. And that's really kind of the important thing, right, Dan?
3: Correct, so I think some of the bigger problems that that we don't address is that we typically address these when the event happens, whereas instead of actually preparing for it ahead of time. And so, Rich and I have been talking about, you know, having your emergency funds plus a financial vulnerability cushion for, what, Lance, the last two and a half, three years? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's been a while and people have initially like, ah, that's kind of, that's a little bit, you know, too conservative for me or, you know, too aggressive on the savings front. And really it's just about making sure that you're protecting you and your household and so you know if you are you know I, I think that even prior to losing your job, you know if you have some time over the holidays, I'd start to assess your budget, understand exactly you know where you are, make any adjustments that you may need, and think about where do the, what are the first places that you would cut if you did lose your job um, you know I find that many times we go through this exercise that many people find that they have a lot of you know miscellaneous and other items they forget they're even paying for. So we've talked about this where, you know, make sure that you understand all of those online subscriptions or things that you just get automatically. Are you actually using them? Do you take advantage of it? I mean, you see so many gym memberships, Lancet, are just, you know, they're, they're not used, you know, nine out of 12 months. And then January 1st, you know, everybody, you know, swamps the gym once again so just the little things that can help you understand where that is evaluate your savings make sure you do have that you know i think having cash on hand is not a bad idea in the event something does happen um you know we always we don't want to rule anything out but also making sure that you do have those funds set aside and make sure that you're earning something look cash is not trash like it used to be look it's still not going to keep up with inflation but there are many places that you can actually go out and, and get a little bit of yield on. In fact, I had a client send me a note yesterday saying that PNC bank is now paying 4%. Um, you know, they increase that. We're seeing many of these institutions are actually paying you a little money. However, the big brick and mortar, those guys are still paying basically nothing. So be a little bit more deliberate with your cash, understand where you're going to put it. If you're going to have some on hand, make it work for you. And so that's, that's another idea or something that you need to do now. If you are retiring, or if let's say you get let go and you're near retirement, uh, everybody says roll over that 401k. And generally speaking, that's a good idea, right? Because we're going to have uh, much better investment options. You're going to be able to more proactively manage the funds. You're going to have control of these funds versus being in that 401k plan. That typically is not going to give you as so many options. But if you're under 59 and a half, there could be some benefits for you keeping these funds in that account, especially if you need to make a distribution. So you know, what I'm really talking about is people typically between 55 and 59 and a half. Some of these 401k plans give you a little bit more leniency than your traditional IRA would. So keep that in mind before you just roll something over automatically, because that's what somebody says is the best thing to do. So you need to make sure you understand how you're going to pay your bills in the interim. Um, And then, you know, assess Social Security if you're over 62. Now, granted, we typically suggest and, and, and recommend that people don't take it Prior to full retirement age, there are some times that, you know, we can make an argument that you need to, right? It's just going to be, hey, you need it for cash flow. That's the only way you're going to live. Uh, Maybe you have an illness. Uh, Those are things that you want to consider. But in general, if you can delay, wait till your full retirement age. And if you can delay even longer, I mean, ideally, we'd prefer you wait till 70 or, or you know, a little bit longer just because you're going to collect that 8% between your full retirement age and age 70. And then you need to make sure that you're thinking about this not just for you, but for your spouse as well, especially if you were the high-income earner. These are all considerations that need to be made where it is a family decision and discussion. Um, And then have a plan in place. Have you done a financial plan? Have you updated it? What does that look like in preparation? You know, I hear a lot of people, Lance, that come in and they say, listen, we just need help managing money. I don't need a plan yet. Okay, why not? Well, because I'm not quite ready because I'm not near retirement or I just don't think we need it. And the problem with that is that if you, if you wait until everything is done, you're ready to step into retirement. We don't have any wiggle room to make changes that can help better prepare you for retirement. So the, a good financial planner is going to help you build out that plan way in advance. So it's going to give you that peace of mind. It's going to give you the ability to know you can walk into retirement And you're not going to be scrambling, trying to figure out how you're going to make ends meet. And there's lots of ways, you know, so a good financial advisor is going to not just to help you manage funds, but they're going to help you protect them from uncle Sam in the sense of there's some smart strategies we could be utilizing now while you're working that are going to keep more money in your pocket later down the road. And so we look at conventional wisdom. Then we look and say, okay, what if we go a little bit different route that we can help protect, protect those funds and mitigate that potential risk further down the line. And so, we see a lot of times a lot of people leave employee benefits on the table. They don't fully utilize that. Uh, we talked a little bit last week about how we had a client who, you know, the way that the company was matching their 401k, they were maxing it out early. They were doing everything right, all the things that we were hoping that people do. But the way that they did it, they actually left employer contributions on the table from a matching perspective. And so being a little bit more diligent about looking at how these things are done, I think, can help you out now to help build that nest egg, protect your, you and your family, and then if, God forbid, something happens, you do lose your job now, you, we kind of know where we go next. And that's one of the bigger things that I think that people don't address at the right time or properly. And look, I get it, you know, I hear a lot of people say, I, you know, I don't want to do a financial plan because I don't want anybody telling me how much I, ha- I can live on. And that's not my job. In fact, I tell people, look, I want you to put down, what are, you know, we're gonna break things down. What are your needs? What are your wants? And then give me the pipe dream. Give me the thing that you think you'd never be able to do. What are the, what's some goal or something that, that you want to achieve or check off a bucket list? Then, G4. The, yeah, okay, never mind. <laughs> Not for you, Lance. But I want to I try to help you get there and say, okay, you know, here's the things that you need to do. And so this is why it's important to, to start working on these things earlier than later. And I, I think that... Um, we can't always do it, but there's been times that you know we find ways, and people are like, "Wow, okay, this is great." And so my job is not to tell you how much you can spend. I'm going to be your, you know, financial counselor and say, "Hey, well, maybe you should cut back here. Or maybe we should think about doing this a little bit differently." But you know, this is your money. You're going to do what you want with it. Uh, our job is to make sure that you're making the right decisions along the way, and just have an advocate to make sure that you know you're being protected. You're making good decisions. Yeah.
1: You know, and one of the one of the I think one of the biggest things that one of the one of the biggest challenges for marriages in general is you know there's always one one of the and and you never know which one it's going to be we meet with couples all the time one of them is the saver one of them is the spender right and and you know one of the big things is in Danny's right you know the the problem with financial planning is is it has that nasty four letter word in it called budget um and you know that that's always the challenge is trying to get everybody onto the same page you know to achieve a financial goal and 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 that's the hardest part and and the only way it works ultimately in and you know one of the I think one of the biggest I don't know if you call it a problem but I guess we'll call it a challenge is a lot of times, you know, the husband will be taking care of the finances or the wife will be taking care of all the finances and the other spouse isn't involved at all, right? They don't even know where the money is. They don't know, you know, what accounts are doing. That That's a host of problems. One, if, if something happens to that person, the other person is like, I don't know where anything is, right? So it's important to have both partners on the same page and just in just terms of knowing where all the assets are and what's going on. But the other thing is, is that you know, financial planning and and budgeting and all these things will work, but both partners have to be bought in, you know, to that. And and that what that means is, is that sometimes, you know, the husband's like, well, here's our budget. We're going to spend, you know, $3,000 a month to live on. And, and the wife's like, <laughs> yeah, in your dreams, you know, so you're going to have to come off that that number that you're committed to unless you just happen to have a partner that's bought into it with you and and find a a a level that that
3: works for you both that you can both commit to because that's, right. that's the only way it works. That's right. So a lot of so on YouTube the real investment show a lot of people are commenting in the chat box and you know saying hey I want to step in the grave and spend my last dollar when I have any money. Well that would be great if we knew when our expiration date was, right? Nobody knows exactly when that is. And so we have to be diligent when we talk about how we're going to spend down money. And I you know there's strategies to do so, but you know, I know I don't want to be in some of these places they're going to put you if you don't have any money.
1: I know I know exactly the date of my death. It's the day that I'm going to burn in from a from a from a skydive with no parachute. Nice. <laughs> It'll be a fun ride all the way down. Did you see that guy that jumped out of the airplane without a parachute? No. He actually did this. Uh, he set the world—I think he set the world record for it—but he jumped out of an airplane without a parachute and landed in a net that was out in Las Vegas somewhere.
3: Man, that's that's pretty guts. Yeah.
1: Do it without a net. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> All right, that wraps up the show for the day. Danny, thank you so much. Uh, Of course, uh, we'll be back tomorrow uh, to talk about everything FOMC and Federal Reserve with today's meeting with Michael Lee. What's to join us in the morning. We'll get you all the updates about where we're going to from here. Uh, That'll be tomorrow. Stick around. Three minutes on markets and money coming up here shortly. Have a great day. Get by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com.